Grab your libations. No water here. I'll take two fingers of larceny. Your finest craft beer, barkeep. Cheers, everyone, and welcome to the Unfiltered Gentlemen. No matter how you take your hooch, we've got something ice cold and on tap. Now, serving it to you straight and unfiltered, here are Greg, Scott, and Dan. That's right. Welcome in, everybody. The Unfiltered Gentlemen, you're here. You made it. Welcome in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for spreading the good word about the even better show. That's right. Oh, God. Thanks to our listeners. Hey, real quickly, it's just me, Greg, today because I got to sit down with owner and brewer John Gonzalez. He's over at Leashless Brewing. They literally just opened last week and had a huge party. It was a blast. You guys need to check them out if you're in the Ventura, California area. Uh, Real quickly, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for spreading the word. Like I said, big shout out to the D.C. and Virginia area. You guys are killing it on the downloads and the interactions. Uh, Salt Lake, where you been, guys? Where you been? Uh, Anyways, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I want to get right into the interview. First, uh, leashlessbrewing.com is where you can find John and his brewery. Also, the Instagrams and the Facebooks, at leashlessbrewing. Twitter is at leashlessbrew, so go check them out. And I'm not going to waste any more time. I think we should get right into the interview with John, talk about his beer, talk about his dream and his passion. So here we go. Let's get right into it. I am here in... uh well, something I've never done before. I'm in a brewery with no beer. I'm at Leashless Brewing in Ventura, California, sitting with the brewer, the owner, the man, the myth, the legend, John Gonzalez. John, how's it going, buddy? It's just another day in paradise, Greg. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for letting us come in here. Uh, you guys are very much still in construction at this point and uh, got your tanks installed recently. Yep. And not quite brewing yet. How far away are we from brewing? Probably two weeks away, two to three weeks away, depending on how quickly we can get uh, electricity brought to the uh, brew house and get our organic grains. We do already have our uh, walk-in cooler filled with organic hops, mm-hmm. so that's one step in the right direction. Yeah, we're just hanging out in there a second ago. It was nice and cool. Let's get into your background a little bit. You've been homebrewing for a long time. I know we, we met a few months back. I got to try some of your, your homebrew slash uh, experiments for what will become Leashless and, and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so how long have you been homebrewing? Good question. Uh, get the fingers and toes out. Yeah. I, I often look back at my awards and figure when the first award was. Okay. And then I figured I mean, there's maybe 18 months before that. So somewhere around 2008 was when I first started brewing beer. Okay approaching 10 years i may have tried it once or twice long time ago just as with roommates for fun but uh, nothing serious until 2008 2009 what was your uh, initial setup are we talking like mr beer kit or <laughs> no 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 no. five gallon um, batches five gallon batches partial mash i would get the uh the kits from midwest supply use the plastic bucket the whole on yards just really simple stuff I, I am firmly rooted in keeping things simple. Yes. And one thing led to another, and you know, I actually still have the box of the first kit that I bought from Midwest Supply. Okay. It was a uh, nightcap cherry stout. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I'm in the middle of my uh, third batch right now. It's a stout, and it exploded all over my shower a couple weeks ago. At least you kept in your shower. Yeah, yeah. And now it will always be in my shower. <laughs> I will never have that anywhere else after that. Um, what was uh, what was the original purpose for homebrewing? What, what kind of pushed you over to start doing it? Long story short, 
I had a job, but I was broke paying student loans. And my wife was still a doctorate student. So uh, when I got bonuses, I would use a part of that to um, buy homebrewing kits and supplies. And, and then it got to a tipping point where I realized, shit, I got a lot of stuff here. Yeah. So I'm either going to have to walk away from it or just commit. And well, I clearly committed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Look around this place. Very clearly committed. Yeah. What 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 was your uh, your normal job before you were putting this place together? My last paying job was as a uh, aquatic specialist. I was a contractor for the National Institutes of Health. Okay. So I helped manage uh, the aquatic resources for one lab officially, and I helped out with two other labs in Bethesda, Maryland. So not beer related whatsoever. Well, my last paid job, no. <laughs> but when I was ready to pull the trigger after three, four years of working on this business plan, I left there and worked as an intern with Crazy Mountain Brewing Company in okay. Vail, Colorado. Did you guys move to Colorado for a while? And was it like beer? Was it a beer related move or was it? 100% beer related move. We, we knew we were going to be leaving Maryland relatively soon. This was three years ago or three and a half years ago. I had finished some contractual obligations with a grant that I got funded. Uh, I had completed the, the research and had the paper published. So it was getting time to leave, and it just coincided with the CBC in D.C. And I gave my wife the option, hey, can we stop in Arizona or Colorado on the way down to California to start the business? Both states she loves okay. very much. And uh, just so happened this opportunity in Vail came about, and I applied for it, and I got it, and Naively, I had no idea where Vail was when I got the internship. <laughs> it's got to be close to Denver, right? I knew it was close to Parker, and that's where my in-laws are. So okay. I thought it would work out, and she was happy. And Vail is a beautiful place. We got there at the beginning of fall. We got to see the Aspens change color. It was nice. a great learning experience. But uh, pretty up in the mountains, right? I think you're 7,000, 8,000 feet up. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice and cold. It didn't get cold initially, but it was one heck of a workout. You know, you're, I, I wasn't used to being that far up and having to oh, work yeah. with that lack of oxygen. Oh, God. Uh, my first day at the brewery, I, I think I had to take inventory of all their kegs outside. And I think I moved about a metric ton of kegs a day. It was, my legs were so sore. And then I get home. My wife, who works from home, right. wanted to go hiking. And the, the trails are just fantastic. But after a whole day and your legs are sore, the last thing you want to do is go hiking. Uh, I survived, clearly. but <laughs> yeah, You made it to tell the tale. What was the beer, or maybe not the beer, but that inspired your passion for craft beer? Not for brewing so much, but just for craft beer and good beer and not drinking gross piss water. Hmm. Was it like, was, you know, Fat Tire your gateway beer or, or you know, Anchor Steam or something like that? Well, I've always been a fan of Guinness. Okay. I don't think I really have a gateway beer. It actually kind of sounds bad, like it's a gateway drug. I know. Just saying. The weed of beers. But I do recall drinking Pete's Wicked Ale way back in the day. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't say that either since they're well, bought by Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. Recently. Um, long time ago. Long time. Oh, yeah. I was thinking Wicked. That's actually what drove yeah. them into bankruptcy. Oh, really? It was Anheuser-Busch's first foray into buying a craft brewery, and they took over, and accounting department kind of, as the story was told to me, drove Pete's south. I guess now as they buy more and more craft breweries, they've learned from that mistake and let the breweries do what they keep doing and just yeah. give them um, ample distribution. 
That said, I do love Belgian beers. So it may Belgians not be the gateway beer, but um, it's definitely what keeps me going and <laughs> has been the inspiration for this brewery and, and the metric I use for what is a really good beer. When you're making Belgians, like, do you do your own uh, candy and everything? or We have to. As a certified organic brewery, we are limited to what we can and can't use. We don't have access to organic Belgian candy syrup, so we have to make it. Yeah. Or you forego making beers like Belgian doubles, quads. I figured a way out to not need it for making triples or Belgian golden strongs, but you definitely need some of those dark fruit notes for the double and the quad. But it seems like you can really kind of uh, taste the difference when someone's made their own candy versus just like throwing sugar in it. But it's definitely um, the approach that we take to address a constraint. Yeah. Which is a need for, but an inaccessibility of uh, Belgian candy syrup. So I, th- I think I've honed a way to make it in the process in a manner where the, the final product is reproducible. I've definitely figured out a number of ways to do it where the product is not reproducible. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. It's going to be one of the first beers we fire up when we start doing our, our first batches. Nice. And it's either going to confirm my experimental batches in that conceptual approach or it's going to prove me wrong and we go back to the drawing board. <laughs> we'll find out. So you kind of hinted towards it. Leashless, all organic, certified organic. Uh, first of all, why? Why'd you go the organic way? When I decided to do the brewery, I figured I was going to put myself in it 100%. So my values, um, my work ethic, my passions. Uh, we just decided to go organic a couple years prior, and I thought it would, I'd be a bit of a hypocrite if I ate as organically as possible. But here I was going to make a business that wasn't going to embrace what it is to be organic. So I, I think that was just the logical thing. The business is, in many respects, an extension of me. Mm-hmm. And so going organic was uh, logical. You know, the cool thing about beer is that it's fun. It's sexy. Yes. We all drink beer. We like it. And if it's one thing that could help change the habits of individuals, whether it's, in this case, our, our purchasing habits, but just the way we think about things, it's not through political intervention, but it's through business. Mm-hmm. And I thought beer, especially organic craft beer, would be a great way to help awaken the consciousness of the average drinker as to to change their habits. If, if only it starts with organic craft beer, but you have to start somewhere. And when I started the business plan, everyone pretty much told me, gosh, organic beer sucks. It's going to taste like crap. <laughs> organic hops are horrible. And the fact is, we can go in the walk-in and, and take a look at what organic hops I have available to me. They're top-notch organic hops. Yeah. The, the beer is pretty much the same. I mean, go eat an organic tomato. Go eat a regular tomato. The organic tomato is not going to taste any worse. Oh, yeah. So, I think we'll be able to refute the, the concept that organic beer tastes horrible because it's organic. And it's beer. So, whether you want to live an organic lifestyle or, or you just like drinking craft beer, a beer is a beer is a beer. So, if you come in and you drink our beer then, hey, maybe for just that moment, we can get you to start thinking about, well, geez, what else is organic that we can consume or, or buy in our everyday life? And it's affordable. Mm-hmm. And then one thing leads to another, leads to another, and it's the domino effect. And is that going to cause your beer prices to be higher than your average 
you know, local brewery because it's all organic? Finances. <laughs> so, or you may not even know yet. It's tough to say when when you calculate your cost of goods, you, you have some assumptions, and then the reality kicks in, and, and you'll learn quickly whether your assumptions were wrong or right. Yeah. But what is obvious is that, and, and I, you could take a look at stone and how stone has grown over the decades. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to charge a premium price for what you consider a premium product, but no one else does. Right. So in the end, the concession is organic beer is going to be much more expensive to make, but our prices have to be in line with everyone else just so that we get people to come in. Yeah, I mean, you get that organic crowd, but you wouldn't necessarily get just the people stumbling through the street looking for, you know, somewhere to go. Yeah, we don't want to be the one that breaks your wallet. Because mm-hmm. if you think back post-World War II, our grandparents, great-grandparents, everyone lived in an organic lifestyle. We didn't have GMOs. We didn't have organic fertilizers or pesticides. It was just manure and norm- natural fertilizers and whatnot. And that's right. how everyone ate. So by that understanding... Everyone, blue-collar, white-collar workers, doctors, lawyers, the farmer, everyone lived an organic lifestyle. For me, I think it would be a sign of success that our beer could be an everyday beer for the everyday person. Yeah. And part of that has to be putting a fair price that everyone can afford and no one balks at. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing you said is very true is, you know, Stone can't just open up and start charging massive amount or Firestone. Take Firestone, for example. They have all, all their barrel work stuff. You can't just open up on day one and, and sell your double DBA for 25 bucks a bottle if people haven't had your other stuff. So that, that makes a lot of sense and, and uh, totally seems the way to go. I was actually thinking more about when Stone first opened in San Diego. They couldn't command, to my recollection, they couldn't command the price that they command now. But now they are legit. They're everywhere. I mean, they're in yeah. Germany. Right. So they can command the price because they've earned it. Yeah. Their product is fantastic and everyone knows it. When we open, no one's going to know us from Adam. I hope that changes relatively quickly. Right. But again, we, we, I want to use our products as a way to help change the habits of, of everyone. And pricing is just as an important consideration as the quality of the beer we make. If I want to accomplish that one goal. Yeah, I, I think if people uh, started hearing that your beer was crazy expensive, they wouldn't show up. What was some of the hurdles to being certified organic as a brewery? You don't hear that happening very often. We're actually still in the process. Okay. It's a huge pain in the ass? or Everything with opening a brewery <laughs> is a huge pain. No two breweries share the same pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got through our ABC permit relatively fast, and typically that's one of the problems you hear from other breweries. Yeah. Local permitting was a nightmare. I'm sure. Welcome to Ventura. Uh, welcome to Ventura. And we just so happened to have chosen a building built in 1930 as our home. Which is gorgeous. It's amazing architecture and super cool. It's turned out to be something really nice, but yeah. it's been a nightmare. I would imagine. We're at the point, though, where we can get the inspector. The, the inspector has actually come by twice, and both times we just weren't ready for him. Okay. Just delays after delays after delays. Yeah. And he should be here within a week so that we can get certified organic. Um, some of the problems with, some of the challenges with organic certification, obviously, is accessibility mm-hmm. of raw ingredients. Now, for organic certification, there's there's three levels. There's up to 75%, up to 99 and 100% certified organic. So okay. if I was to 
have my recipes include, let's say, 75 to 80% organic materials, then I use the, the little symbol that says made with 75% organic. If we use up to 99% or 99.9% organic materials, then we're just organic or certified organic or certified 100% organic. Everything is that we use is organic, 100% of all our materials. Well, water is a natural item, so you can't get that certified organic. So there goes that one. Some of our brewing salts are naturally occurring, but you can't, again, certify anything that's natural because by definition, it's natural wild. Okay. Um, So we will be 99.9% organic. So we'll just be using this organic certificate. Um, And sometimes you go through and you see what's available and what's not available. And it's like, geez, do do I want to skimp out and just use the made with 75% slogan and make my life a little easier? Probably a lot easier, yeah. But then we're not authentic and legit. And and so legitimacy is very important for the overall goal and and what I want to achieve. So we just found back doors. Essentially, um, hops, the availability is, is challenging. We had to set up yeah. three-year contracts, quantities that I thought we need. And um, you have to think about the issue, what if this beer is a home run? Mm-hmm. And I run out of hops. Well, I just stalled growth and, and you don't want that. So you have to kind of make some assumptions. And, and so now I've got hop contracts. I mean, we're already a year behind schedule. So I've got a whole year of hop contracts that <laughs> I haven't been able to use. And we're about to start the second hop year. So I've got twice as much hops that I, I need. And, and we just got to brew a lot of beer or, or sell it to other organic breweries or just mm-hmm. eat the cost. Logistics is is another challenge. Getting it so that I have the grains available to me to brew the beers that I want us to brew. Now, as as a Belgian-centric brewery, grains are very important, but mm. the yeast typically does all the work. Right. So, there's, there's ways to modify a recipe if we don't have access to all of our grains. But that leads me to another constraint and consideration that uh, those considering doing organic certification should have in mind. Every recipe that I brew has to be approved before I brew it. Okay. So even a test batch would need to be approved before I brew it. Oh, just a test batch? Correct. Wow. So now you, I have to take a step back and think about what's worked with the beer recipe, why, and then go back and look at maybe the composition of, of the hop oils, the oils in a hopper, whatever, or, or the hopping process and say, okay, if I modify let's say, uh, Jerlu for, um, Zaka and add in some organic Calypso. Is that going to work the same way? Or I kind of got to think ahead of, of how everyone's going to play together before I go forth and right. submit a new recipe and the certifications. So it's not just my certification is based in part with making sure I have the paperwork that demonstrates everything I'm purchasing is certified organic. If it's not like, let's say calcium chloride, I have to make sure and document that it was mined and it wasn't generated by a GMO, stuff like that. And okay. So the paperwork becomes a challenge and it's frustrating, but at the same time, it's required because when you see that logo, you need to have confidence that what you're buying is exactly what we say you're, you're buying. And consumer confidence, I think, is lacking in a lot of things that we buy every day and just my luck that organic certification they, they don't skimp on that so when you see that logo that says organic certification there's a whole paper trail yeah of not only what i've purchased and that it's certified organic but who i've sold my kegs to 
So if they have to come back and say, John, we bought uh, a keg of your Belgian IPA last month and we want to make sure it's organic, I can go back and show them. Here it is. Okay. And they so could follow the entire These ingredients thing. went to this keg and... Exactly. Lot numbers, the whole nine yards. Wow. What a... I mean, I say pain, but that's... Uh, that's int- I mean, it kind of makes sense because there's a lot of things... You talk about consumer um, confidence... You know, where things you know, like food you buy at the store will say like it's, you know, whatever, organic or it's this. And it's, you know, like you say, only 75% or whatever. And, and I think people are starting to catch on that a lot of that stuff is uh, full of shit. And so to know that it's, you know, legit, if that's what people are looking for, like, you know, they found it. And I think that's really important. Other than organic, which I, I know is kind of the the uh, the founding principles of the of the brewery. What is what is special about the beer you're going to be making? Like what's what's different from Topa Topa down the street? And- okay, well if we if we remove the organic component, we are a Belgian themed brewery, so most of our beers are going to be Belgian styles. I don't think anyone in the area has really committed a hundred percent to that. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, we also have a small portfolio that will be certified organic, gluten reduced beers, so that those who are challenged with the consumption of gluten, so whether they're gluten tolerant or celiac can have a safer product to enjoy if they so choose. Okay. A lot of that is because my wife was identified uh, gluten intolerant many years ago. And I thought, man, wouldn't I be a jerk <laughs> if I didn't have a product that she could enjoy at the brewery? So um, we have those two things going for us. That's cool. Um, I think also just the, the focus on being environmentally friendly and have a, a focus on sustainability is going to help separate us too. But, these things, you know, anyone can change how they operate to incorporate those things. And, and I'd be happy if everyone did. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about the name. Leashless. Are you a dog lover? Are you a surfer? Where does the name come from? So the name, yes, I'm, I'm a surfer. It's actually, I think, a great name because while I do love dogs, I don't have a dog. It's a name where I found people can own it in their own way. Many people have said, oh, leashless, just like uh, letting my dog run, run without leash. Ah, cha-ching. They got it because they use their the fact that they're a dog owner right. um, as a way to connect with the brewery. Others, surfers, they, they love it. And, and yeah, I'm a surfer. I, I grew up in Carp. Um, I've okay. been surfing for 22, 23 years. And as a longboarder, I love surfing leashless. Just the leash kinks up and you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. From a sustainability perspective, it goes with the brewery because it's it's a sense of freedom. So that that sense of freedom, I hope one day people can can get and and utilize. Because you know, by the time Wednesday or Thursday rolls around, we just want to be free of work. Yes, please. And just uh, go enjoy the weekend. It was actually supposed to be the name of a um, of our gluten reduced lines, mm-hmm. and our brewery was going to have a different name altogether. And we got in a trademark dispute. So being the small kid in the fight or the one that brings the knife to a gunfight, right. we ended up having to back down. And unfortunately for me, it was the second time I had to change my name throughout this entire process. And I just thought Leashless, while it is a little challenging for some people to speak and, and say, it, uh, <laughs> I thought it was really Leashless. appropriate. Uh, yeah, I've been told Leashless. Why'd you choose that? Gosh, that's such a bad name. It's almost like I've had too much to drink, but I haven't had anything to drink. And I thought, it's like judicial uh-huh. system. It's a sobriety test. There you go. The moment you can't say leashless, we cut you off. Yeah, we're taking your keys, buddy. Are you afraid that uh, people are going to come in here with their dogs and just let them run all over the place? So that's an interesting thing. Um, our patio will be dog-friendly, and we'll have some rules if I can ever get around to make the sign. 
And I will hope that they keep the dogs in the patio because for every dog lover, there might be one person who's allergic to animal dander. Sure. What I've learned is, is that, um, when you have gluten intolerance or celiac, sometimes you have other immuno issues as well. And I just think it's easier to say, okay, if you want to bring your dog, keep it outside. And, um, that way if someone comes in and they're allergic to dog dander or they just don't want to deal with dogs, some people have grown up afraid of dogs. And this is not the place I want them to overcome their fear. So they <laughs> this can is not send, therapy. Yeah. Well, it may be with a glass well, of beer, but true. not that type of therapy. Wrong therapy. Yeah. So if someone's you know allergic to dog dander or um, they just don't want to deal with the dogs, they can sit inside. If, if you want to bring your dog, then you have outside and it's a win-win. So the, the other name was Sessions. Was it just a case of not enough money to fight the battle in court? You know, there's time and money, which money is time. Right. The focus for us had to be to get open, which has taken more time than uh, I wanted, which means more money and just get open and grow the brand. Starting a brewery is challenging, especially when you're the the managing members, so to speak, and you don't have any active partners and you just got to think about what really matters. These are issues you can always come back and deal with later on. Sure. There's many ways into a house. And I just figured it was, it was time to focus, um, financially and mentally on just getting the brewery open. The name sessions is ubiquitous in the brewing world. It has been, you can find it mentioned, referenced in books in the 1800s. So mm-hmm. it's not like we just came up with this word and voila, right. it's a new word. Um, especially as it relates to beer and it's everywhere. I mean, we've got, the sessions beer style you've got the ipa sessions sessions ipa beer style Mm -hmm. the use of the word sessions never went away and it's never going to go away it's pretty generic so if someone with more time and effort than us want to take it on i'm sure they could at a certain point it just comes down to money and if you really want to bother with that or expand another place and a name is just a name just a name right change our name twice and if i had to I'll change it third time and a fourth time it's just a string of letters yeah yeah more focus on the beer yeah um one thing I've, I've heard from a lot of the brewers i've talked to on the show and then off the show is and i was a little sur- i mean not super surprised but a little surprised it seems like everybody that's in whatever area you're in whether it's here in ventura or you know tim at five thirds in west like like everybody nearby is super cool with each other and there's no like, Hey, you know, this asshole's opening a brewery. Let's try and take him down. Um, there's a couple in this area that are popping up. Have you found it to be a, a welcoming community or I think overall we've been very accommodating. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anyone's going to give their recipe out to the other just to help sure. them out. Made West held on to my hops last year because again, I thought it'd be open last year <laughs> and uh, I got a load of organic centennial and, I had no place to put it, so they stored it for me. That's um, awesome. Yeah, and uh, Topo Topo has extended their willingness to help if I needed it. So, in that regard, it's it's pretty nice. Uh, Brian at Poseidon, I got to pick his brain a little bit about uh, permitting and whatnot. I haven't mm-hmm. had the time yet to meet Kyle at Ventura Coast Brewing Company, but the folks at Institution uh, and Ennegrin Brewing Companies have been really open. I, I think um, the openness and the friendliness might change in the future if competition gets really bad but in general craft breweries tend to buck the the business trend yeah and um kind of work together there's i don't think there's a shortage of craft beer consumption especially locally yeah 
And sure. um, piece by piece, we're all transforming Ventura into a little beach slash brewery town. Mm-hmm. And we can all benefit from that. And then hopefully we can help to improve the city of Ventura as well. Yeah. We're an organic brewery. So when it comes to collaborations and whatnot, we can only do collaborations with those who are certified organic. That's and true. Yeah. So we'll see what things, how things pan out once we open. And it seems like a lot of the focus is less on, I want to beat the guy down the street and more on, we all want to beat the big guys, you know, the InBevs and those guys. Yeah. I mean, here in Ventura, we have, um, we have like the, the wine tour or whatnot, and we can clearly work with the city to do a, a craft beer tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's enough breweries now. Yeah. You're going to pay whatever, let's say, I'm just going to throw a number out there, like 30 bucks. You're going to want to go visit a ton of different breweries and, and get your 30 bucks worth. Yeah. And, uh, we have a trolley that goes from downtown to the harbor and pier ponds. And why can't we just use that to shuttle people around? And now it's a little safer at the end. People can go eat downtown or whatnot. Um, and we're all different too. So that's, that's a great thing. Topa's got their focus. Made West got their focus. Ventura Coast has their focus. We're different. So it adds, um, variety, which yeah. we all love variety. And like you said before, not everybody's focusing on Belgians. In fact, very few people are. So if you're a Belgian lover, you come on in and have yourself a tasty Belgian. Hopefully it's tasty. Yeah. Uh, let's get back to the brewery a little bit. How much can you produce once you guys start brewing? Before I bring in any more tanks, we could probably max out 800 barrels, 1,000 barrels tops. Okay. It, it'll be challenging. One of those things where as soon as it's ready, we package, clean out that fermenter, fill it. If that means coming in to brew at midnight. Right. So, to keep that wheel, that machine going, that's what we can do. Um, but it's big enough to bring in another seven tanks. So depending on how we structure the brewery and, and just overall processes, we might be able to squeeze out 4,000 barrels. I Now look at our walk-in cooler. I don't think it's going to be big enough for that. So we'll just see. A lot of it has to do with equipment and then manpower. Yeah. And how much people drink. Yeah. Somehow I forgot about that one. And maybe you don't know yet, but what is going to be your uh, core lineup of beers when you guys open up? When we open up, we'll definitely have a Saison. It's my favorite beer. And I, I think that's the gateway beer into <laughs> um, Belgian beers. Okay. It'll, it'll be our replacement for cores or lagers in general. Yeah. Something light. Yeah. Uh, so Saison, we'll do, if we can get the right ingredients, our, our double, maybe a, uh, a gluten-reduced beer mm-hmm. and... Um, a hoppy beer, maybe American Pale Ale, Belgian IPA might knock out uh, a test batch of what will end up being a, a collaboration beer with a band. And uh, just we'll see. A lot of it has to come down to how much money we have left in the bank yeah. by the time we start brewing. But we should at least open up with four beers. Okay. Ideally, I'd like six. A little something for everyone. Yeah, exactly. We talked a little bit about kind of what a pain it was to, to go through and, and open this place up, not just from the organic standpoint, but from the governmental standpoint, what would you say the biggest barrier in opening this place was like the single kick in your pants? It's gotta be construction permits and it's no fault to Ventura. Unfortunately, the circumstances are they're overworked. Mm-hmm. They need more staff at city hall to do plan check. The inspectors have been really nice. But quite honestly, I've gone through five versions of the building plans before we got the permit approved. And then we had to do three more revisions. 
And each one of these revisions takes another two to four weeks. Yeah. And during that time, we get hit with storms. And this became a mud bath on both the uh, here where we're sitting and then over where the taste room is. And that in turn required us to take out three feet of dirt. Oh, jeez. We took out 16, 16 ton loads. So let's do the math. 16 squared is... You got the smartphone. <laughs> 16 times 16. That puts us at what? Somebody's yelling at their phone right now. 256. All right. So 256 tons math nerd is angry. of wet clay. And we had to replace that with 450 tons of compacted base. That stuff takes time. Yeah. Made for a great video, but <laughs> it just took a lot of time. And then you have to get someone to come back in to inspect. Mm-hmm. So just building plans alone have been just brutal. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, we have some questions from listeners. We have questions from Renee. Renee uh, is from the Twenty First Amendment Girls, and when I found when she found out that I was going to be interviewing you, she did a lot of internet stalking. She went through your LinkedIn profile, quite, what? yeah, quite thoroughly. Is that legal? I hope so. Otherwise, you might have some charges to file. Um, so she's got a few questions for you. She said, it wasn't too long ago that you were a uh, DMV resident, which apparently I learned is D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Yep. Uh, what inspiration from the D.C. area are you bringing to your California brewery? And will we see your beers on the East Coast? Eventually, that'd be really cool if we were big enough to go on the East Coast. We won't be that once we open, unfortunately. <laughs> but, Renee, you can always come to the brewery. That's right. And meet the guy you've been stalking on LinkedIn. <laughs> as far as uh, what I've gleaned from the breweries that we visited um, in, during our seven years stint in the Maryland, D.C. area, a lot of it ha- just has to do with identifying some of the practices that each brewery uses. You know, when, when we go visit breweries, and we visited a ton on that side of the country, I would just pick up things that worked and things that didn't work. And I made sure to not implement things that didn't work at a specific brewery and made sure that I, I would remember the little things that did work at each brewery and make sure that we had um, implemented that here. Because everyone, you know, brewing is like a cat. There's so many ways to skin it. And uh, we're a very small operation, so we have to be very efficient with our actions. Mm-hmm. It's just picking up, you know, little subtleties here, like that was cool or didn't Absolutely. like that or... And it could be anything from, you know, I, I want to say it was DC Brow that we visited right around their grand opening and their bar was really cool. They had taken all their pallet wood and used that for their bar. And when, when you walked in, you could see the stance like DC Brow. So you knew, okay, this, they stamped that pallet mm-hmm. wood before, uh, the brewery was receiving their goods and whatnot. And, um, they had this walk-in cooler inside the brewery area. So during your tour, you could get, samples and whatnot and okay and so the idea of the reclaimed bar stuck in my head from that and it's you know as an organic brewery we want to recycle as as much as possible so we do have a bar made out of recycled or reclaimed redwood and and douglas fir the douglas fir were the part of the bleachers in the ventura high school back in the day and now they're part of the bar and last year actually because of dc browse visit I spent a number of days just breaking down pallets. So we'd have reclaimed pallet wood for the, for the bar. Obviously we didn't go that way. And that wood is sitting in someone's garage right now. And I'll probably have to move that in a day or two. (laughs) But, um, so yeah, Renee, my LinkedIn stalker, that's pretty much what happened. You know, all the little cool things here and there. And there's so many breweries in that side of the country. It was just great to visit them all. And, and, Saw what worked, saw what didn't work. We used to go to Flying Dog 
Mm. Oh man. And when we, we first moved to Maryland, flying dog, five bucks on a Saturday or Sunday, and it was all the tasters you could drink. For reals? Yeah. Wow. And then I guess they caught on and it then became something like for five dollars, you got five little chips. And okay. each chip referred to uh, a beer. So you got five beers. I think they caught on and it started to be little <laughs> taster pours. I mean, when we first go that went there, I'd get their bourbon barrel imperial style. I'd get five of those for five dollars. That's, That's amazing. And a lot of alcohol. Yes. The amazing thing was how well I fared the next day. <laughs> um, Still walking. Yeah. So that idea of like free beer is not the best thing. Right. And causes legal issues too. It does now. Yeah. At least now it does. Uh, she says, like many breweries starting out, you had to deal with larger brewery making trademark claims. Uh, the DMV's own Old Old Ox Brewery and Fairwinds Brewery also deal with this, which caused you to switch from Sessions to Leashless. Um, we kind of already talked about this. Why did you choose Leashless and what sentiments carry over from Sessions? So maybe let me alter a little bit. Uh, what carried over from Sessions and was there any meaning behind Sessions or was it kind of like you said before, was it just a name, was just letters on a wall? Yeah, you know, the, the name was just... Just name a string of letters put together, the philosophy, ideology behind the brewery, the practices transferred over. It was, you know, a painful day to realize, damn, again, I got to walk away from this name and rebrand and whatnot. But shit, it was our second time. So this is the third time, third name. You kind of get used to it. Um, you know the process by now. Yeah. And it sucks. But in each event, it's it was a learning process. And mm-hmm. so the the rebound, if you will, was better each time hopefully we don't have to change our name again if we do i've done this enough it'll be less painful and and we know who to go to 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 create new logos and whatnot that's good but now it might be a little more costly you got signs on the wall and yeah good looking that's, sign, by the way. that's so true they branded they did a really great job with our logos i yeah. was really impressed we've just been very fortunate yeah. for for every time the door has closed another one opens and you just got to stop wanking and, and look for that door <laughs> and then charge it and just make it happen. So if nothing else, it's made us more resilient to open up and um, continue with the mission. Yeah. And for everybody listening, I'll have pictures of the sign and of the really cool reclaimed wood bar and, and everything in here. You guys can check it out. Or you can go to our Instagram page, uh, Leashless Brewing, or our mm-hmm. Facebook page. It's all up there, too. Yeah. you got a sweet uh, time-lapse video from the construction. Renee, you could stop stalking me and just follow us on Instagram. <laughs> How easy would that be? Too uh, easy. Yeah. And finally, Renee, the stalker says, give us your craziest story to come out of your internship at Crazy Mountain Brewing Company. Yeah, this this actually, boilovers, they blow. Oh, geez. And uh, Kevin, the CEO, got a hold of some uh, New Mexicanus hops. Okay. And uh, we did a, a single hop IPA with New Mexicanus, which I think has a different name now, but that was the uh, the name at the time. So I'm the one doing uh the batch and i went to throw in a batch of hops and it just a massive massive boil over it was just off the charge frothing just like a you know when you add baking soda to vinegar right just off the hook and i'm freaking out because this thing's just blowing up and we're giving a tour <laughs> you couldn't time the shit better so i'm the only one there and uh goggles weren't doing a damn thing literally the soft skull and just me i had to go run down and um lower the steam i had to get the face mask that you normally use when you're mixing chemicals okay and i opened the the manhole and i'm spraying all down the hops this is frothing it was just out of control and 
it didn't work. And I had to get on my <laughs> arms, the face, the facial got totally splattered. I mean, and there's a tour, do do, just walking by, wondering, geez, does this normally happen? It's like, well, only when you're given a tour, I guess. I mean, yeah. So everything worked out, or did you have to dump the batch? No, everything was fine. It tasted fantastic, you know. I had a little bit of it on me, yeah. so it was a special moment between me and that beer. That's right. Yeah. Got romantic. Uh, let's not go there. <laughs> uh, Eric wants to know, this is going to be a hard one. This is like, what's your favorite Beatles song? What's Wait, your favorite? Oh, Did he stalk me on LinkedIn too? He didn't say he did. Okay. And this question would lead me to think he did not. Good. Uh, what's your favorite brewery other than your own? Gosh. That's, that's kind of like, hey, what's your favorite Beatles song? Or I'm a huge fan of West Mall. I love their double. I love their triple. It's the premise for how we're going to make ours. I've never been there. I would love to go to West Mall and, and hang out there. So I'm going to say Trappist Brewery or West Mall. Okay. Awesome. With the caveat that I've never been there. <laughs> and I'm just going to throw this out there that I love going to breweries in general because you can always learn something. And uh, it's just so cool how we take different approaches to making beer and packaging beer and just mm-hmm. getting the shit out there and, and making good time for the people who come to the taste room to, to try your beer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and finally, Alex wants to know, we talked a little, a little bit about this uh, off the air. Alex, Alex wants to know, what do you think about the uh, hazy New England IPA movement that's going on? My particular belief is uh, I'm, I'm, it is what it is. I have no skin in the game. We're not going to make uh, <laughs> hazy IPA or, or New England IPA. And I don't know enough about the style to know whether it was a mistake well marketed <laughs> or whether it was actually intended that way. Uh, the few times I've had it, I found that the hop character was a little subdued, mm-hmm. maybe because the, the wheat, uh, that, that hazy interaction. But that's about it. Fair enough. I like to ask the brewers out here on, on the West Coast, uh, some of them get a little... Uh, highfalutin about it and are very anti you know hazy ipa why don't you just filter your beer kind of response so it's always interesting to see what people out here because it's not uh there's not a lot of them out here or at least not you know good examples of a new england ipa if there's such a thing you know institutions has their white ipa Mm -hmm. and i would just assume that the white ipa and the new england ipa are the same thing probably i feel similar yeah and you know in the end we all have our our preferences and just because one person doesn't like an IPA doesn't mean the IPA is bad. It just means that person doesn't like the IPA. And I, um, I mean, again, we're never going to make a hazy IPA uh, unless it was an accident and we didn't have <laughs> any way to filter it out. Honestly, it's ingenious. It is what it is. If you like it, fantastic. I'm not going to be puritanical about what should <laughs> or should not be an IPA because one of the things I love about Belgians and, and why we are a Belgian-centric brewery is they pretty much said F you to the whole process back in the day and, and brewed what they wanted, how they wanted. They were taxed as such. Mm-hmm. And that's how we have all these phenomenal beers. So if I was to be very strict anti-New England IPA or puritanical, I would be a hypocrite as to um, the basic premise of the breweries we're trying to follow in our own way. Yeah, makes sense. But again, we'll never make it. Don't come here asking for it or a lager. Or a Pilsner, not going to happen. Just saying. You two stalker, Renee. Don't come here looking for it. But, Renee, do you show up and introduce yourself as the LinkedIn stalker? Please. That'd be the best thing ever. Yes. All right. So, the website, Leafless... God, I sound drunk already. Well, you have had some beers. Yeah. 
all uh, four ounces. Leashlessbrewing.com. And then on the uh, the social medias, it's Leashless Brewing, except for Twitter, at Leashless Brew. Go follow, go subscribe, go like, go thumbs up, whatever uh, it calls for. John, thank you so much for hanging out. Thanks for the, the tour and talking with us. My pleasure. Thanks for coming over on a, on a Sunday afternoon. Absolutely. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Bye, everyone. Thank you one last time to John for joining us, for taking the time, for talking about his beer. As you can tell, John's super passionate about what he does, and it shows. I got to try his beer, oh, a few months back when he was still working on some recipes and some test batches and such, and it was really, really good. So I recommend you guys go check out Leashless Brewing. It's in Ventura, California. Um, If you're in the area, it's 585 East Thompson Boulevard. Like I said, at the top of the show, you can find them on the interwebs, leashlessbrewing.com. Facebook and Instagram is Leashless Brewing, and Twitter is at Leashless Brew. It's hard to say, even if you're sober. Not that I am. Anyway, so thank you once again to him for coming on. Go check out his beer. Let us know and let him know if you go check him out that uh, you hear about him here, and we want to know what you thought of his beer. Uh, don't forget to check us out, theunfilteredgentleman.com. You want to tell someone about the show and how to listen? Super easy, theunfilteredgentleman.com slash listen. Ah, oh, how hard was that? You can find us on the social medias, The Unfiltered Gentleman, of course, Twitter's at Unfiltered Gents, because they're, you know, racist against people with long names. That's all for us tonight. Oh, one last thing. 805-538-BEER is the number to uh, drunk dial. Please send us your drunk dials. And next week will be our one-year anniversary. I have to think of something good for that show. So make sure you join us. Uh, tweet us your favorite moments of the past year. I can't believe we made it this far without, I don't know, dying of alcohol poisoning or something. So anyways... You guys, thanks for listening. Go check out John over at Leashless. Stay hydrated. And on that note, good night, everybody. 